anything they could do, anything they would talk about, somehow he would work it around that the Methodists were better. So they all conspired one day and they decided that they were going to pull something on him. And so they dropped a tablet into his coffee. And uh, not too long after that, he began to nod asleep and fell fast asleep. And they picked him up and they carried him out to the local cemetery. And they put him into a borrowed coffin. And they put him right next to a, an open or freshly dug grave. And they hid in the bushes to wait and see what would happen when he woke up. They didn't have to wait too long. About 45 minutes, an hour later, the Methodist minister woke up looked around, saw where he was, and out of his mouth came, Praise the Lord! Glory! Hallelujah! The resurrection has come and the Methodists have risen first. <laughs> well, we're talking about praising God and giving thanks. and It's good to give thanks for right things. Better than giving thanks for wrong things. But we looked at last week as we started this off. We uh, used the example of, Is it in you? You remember our prop we had? They got the guys sweating and they're all sweating the color of Gatorade that they're drinking because what the, what's, what's in them is coming out. And we wanted to see what is in us. We went over some of the good things that are in us and we looked at some things about some grateful people and ungrateful people. And I want to read that list to you once again, but I'm going to read it to you in a little different way. Ungrateful people Unthankful people are people who focus on what is lacking. Grateful people focus on their blessings. Ungrateful people focus on what others have not done. Grateful people focus on what assistance and help they can give. Ungrateful people focus on what could be better. Grateful people are grateful for what they have been spared. Ungrateful people are focused on what they have earned. That's mine. I should have that. Grateful people focus on what they can give. Ungrateful people feel angry and cheated. Grateful people feel joy, gladness, and blessed. Ungrateful people find themselves left out while grateful people find ways to reach out. And you can keep on adding more things to this list. You think on it. You meditate on it. You can come up with some things on that. But we saw in Psalms 100, 100 and verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. That the way to come into the courts, the way to come into the presence of God was through praise. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament and you do a study on this, you will see that the children of Israel are divided into 12 tribes and they're all positioned in, in different places around the temple. But the gate to get into the temple, guess where that was located? You had to come through Judah. And Judah means the way into the presence, the way into his tabernacle, the way into his place is through praise. But how often do we come into his presence? We got a problem and we come into prayer. Oh God, it's so bad. Oh, I'm missing this. Oh, it's so hard. We're not coming in with praise and thanksgiving. We're coming in with moaning and groaning. Grumbling and complaining. Our focus is not on blessings. Our focus is on what is lacking. Our focus is on what others have not done for me. What could be better. What I should have because I've earned it. Why I feel angry. Why I feel cheated. Why I'm feeling left out. 
We come in that way a lot of times into His presence because when we're in pressure situations, what's in us begins to come out. We begin to see what's going on. God wants the good things to come out. He wants us to see, see good things. Remember our other prop that we had? Good stuff. Now it's made up of better stuff. <laughs> we all know those commercials. Isn't that great? But we should be made up of good stuff. We should be always looking to get even better stuff in us. So that when the pressure is applied, what comes out? Good stuff. And we don't have to try and protect and, and hide and cover up. No, good stuff comes out. We looked in uh, Genesis chapter 3 last week at Adam and Eve. And how Adam and Eve were in the perfect place. They could walk and talk with God. There was no sin. They, they didn't have to you know, apply for jobs. Mess with computers. Pay the electric bill. The weather was always nice. The trees were always in bloom with some kind of fruit. There was always stuff to do. There was work to do to keep them busy. But it wasn't overbearing. They had time off. They had time to enjoy themselves. They're in the perfect garden. A garden that God made for them. A beautiful place. How many of you would think, oh, this is paradise. This is great. This is so good. It doesn't get any better. Now, for us, paradise would all be a little bit different, right? Some of you folks, paradise involves mountains. Some of you, paradise involves beaches. I'm one of those people that paradise involves beaches. Lots of waves, lots of sun, lots of sand. That's paradise. Not everybody is that way. Some people like more trees and more... But we all have something different. But this garden was made just for Adam and Eve. And it had all the things in it that they liked. And yet, as satisfied as they were, there's going along, they did not know a need. They did not know of a need. They just went on with life. And then all of a sudden, one day, Satan comes to them, disguised as a serpent, and begins to sow into them. And they became discontented, didn't they? They became very suddenly ungrateful. If they had remained grateful for the situation they were in, they would not have fallen into that situation. We also looked at Jeroboam and things going on with that. But those CDs are back there if you want to go back and, and get over, over all those things. But we went over again the steps to get into this condition. First off, create dissatisfaction with the present. What, this, what the devil has to do, what he did with Adam and Eve, what he did with Jeroboam, what he does with us, is he first off creates dissatisfaction with where I'm at. I become dissatisfied with my mate. I become dissatisfied with my children. I become dissatisfied with my family. I become dissatisfied with my job. Become dissatisfied with my car. Become dissatisfied with where I live. I have become dissatisfied with my present. That must occur first. The first thing that Adam happens with Adam and Eve is they become dissatisfied with where they are. Has God truly said that you will, die? You will not surely die? But God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will become as God, knowing both good and evil. Oh, we're not wise yet. Suddenly they are dissatisfied with their present and they have a longing for a different future. That's the second stage. Create dissatisfaction with the present, a longing for a different future or reward. 
And number three, don't reveal all the ramifications or consequences of this. That's the devil's tactic. It's been the devil's tactic for a long time. Do not allow this to happen. Your guard of defense here is in the first part. Don't become dissatisfied. Don't allow that to come in. You can always have the goal for the future. Abraham, when he had no children, was had a goal of? Children. Joseph, when he had a goal of being a ruler, was in? Prison. So people had goals... But it did not cause them to have to be dissatisfied with their present. Do we ever catch up with Joseph and find him in a place that I am so dissatisfied with where I'm at? We don't find that with him. Now, we did with Abraham. But he eventually got over it and God got him right. And he got to a place where he rested in that and things changed for him. But here in Second Chronicles, chapter 20, we hadn't taught on this one for a while and you can really teach some of these principles from many of the places in the Word. Some of them we've already taught on recently, so I'm avoiding some of those things. But here we have the problem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 20, in verse 1, the problem comes in in that there is a conglomeration of three kings that are coming together. And they are coming against Israel. And so Israel has reached out. I'm sorry, they're coming against uh, Judah. And Judah is scared about this. They say, oh, this is not a good situation. We don't think that we're quite powerful enough to, to hold this off. And we see what they do about it. But how many times have we been caught in a situation where we find ourselves in a mess, in a big problem? It happened after this that people of Moab, this is after Ahab died in battle, it happened after this that people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them beside the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and said to himself, and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? So he comes before him. We'll go over here to the prayer in a minute. But notice that what they did, they had a situation. Three kings were gathering together and coming to battle Jehoshaphat. He looks at this situation and said, their multitude is bigger than what I have. Jehoshaphat was not powerless to fight them. He was not powerless to fight them. He had an army. But he did not feel that his army was sufficient to go against these folks. And so it caused them to fear. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. They wanted to be serious about coming after God. So a big problem here produced great fear. They had a big problem. They had big fear. How many of you had ever, ever had a big problem come against you? And it produced a big fear. Now, that's kind of a normal way we react to things as people. It would be great if it didn't produce any fear. But sometimes it just gets the best of us and it produces some fear. But look what he does. He takes it before God. God never exonerates him or yells at him and says, Why would you fear? Because he took his fear before the Lord. As far as we know, they don't bicker and complain. They just 
Let's get before God. And so he calls people from all over the nation. And they all come on down. And we don't hear people bickering and complaining. We just hear they get together to pray, to fast, to seek after God. They don't declare their own demise. How many times do we see Israel do this? They declared their own demise. Oh, I know God just brought us here to kill us. I just know God brought us across the Red Sea to bring us out here and have us die in the wilderness. I just know it. They declared their own demise. They don't do this here. They don't blame God. Why, why God, did you do this? We're a God-fearing nation. We're the only God-fearing nation around here. The Israel to the north, they've left you. We're still following after you. Why are you doing this? They don't blame God for it. Now, if they did any of these things, would they be a thankful people? There is no place between being thankful and being unthankful. There is no place between being thankful and being unthankful. If you are not thankful, you are what? There's no place in between. I remember that distinctly. Because that's, that's just true. Sometimes we think, well, you know, there's all kinds of spots to be in the middle. I can be somewhat thankful and somewhat unthankful. No. If you are not a thankful person, you are unthankful. Now, what does this person who seems to be in the middle usually do? How many times does someone come up to you and begin to say, you know, I really appreciated you doing this and you, I really appreciate you doing this. And what's in your mind? Because you can just tell by the way they brought it up to you. Here it comes. There's a but. I really appreciate you did all these things. I really appreciate you to, you know, did this over here. But. Now, this person is trying to find that middle ground between being thankful and being unthankful. How do you hear what they say? You don't really appreciate all those things. You're just trying to say all these nice things about it so that the rest of it's hard, easier to, to, uh, to take, right? There is no place between being thankful and being unthankful. You are either thankful or you are not. You are either saved or you're not. You're either forgiven or you're unforgiven. I mean, you can even take, you can take this all kinds of ways. You're either pregnant. I mean, is there any middle stage? <laughs> that's, that's one you can all identify with, right? <laughs> You're not somewhat. You are not somewhat thankful. You are either thankful or unthankful. That's all there is to it. And we need to be on the side of being thankful. Not trying to find that middle ground. So I'm either one or the other. I've got to be on the side that is thankful. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Give me thanks always for all things. Give me thanks when? Always. That just means some of the time, though. Most of the time. Always. So if I am thankful, Father God, I thank you for this, and I thank you for this, and I thank you for this, but what have I just done? And become unthankful. I become unthankful. Giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus for you. So we are to give thanks no matter where we're in, no matter what situation we're in. Whatever situation I'm in, give thanks. Be glad. James says, whatever trials and tests come your way, count it. 
All joy. <laughs> That's a thankful person. A person who is not thankful does not count at all joy. They have some problems with it. Let's take a look at this prayer. He's standing in the assembly of the new court in verse 6, and he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? How many times when you are facing a big problem and have big fear, start your prayer this way. I don't know about you, but sometimes my prayers when I'm facing a big problem and big fear, my prayer is usually focused on the big problem, taking care of the big fear, and how God needs to get me out of this. Right? And then that what we do? I mean, we're without hope. There's no other hope but God. So I need to sell this. Uh, I need to sell God on the fact that He needs to get me out of this. So usually we start off with a sales pitch. <laughs> Have you seen all the things I've done? How faithful I've been? How diligent I've been in Your Word? How good I've been to Your people? How much I love You? How much I've stood for You? We begin to sell them on ourselves, don't we? Yeah, well, I got to sell God on me. Because I want God to do something for me. He doesn't do that here. He just starts going off. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Now, if you are facing an army like Jehoshaphat is, how many of you are making this prayer? No one is able to stand before you. I'm thinking, I'm not sure about those guys that are coming down the road. They might be able to. But he doesn't. He still hasn't talked about the problem yet, has he? What's he doing? Entering into his gates with? And pray. He's just praising God. Are you, verse 7, are you not our God? Are you not our God? How different from the Israelites who... Looked at God as they forgot Him. God, God turned His back on us. Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it and your name saying, If disaster comes upon us, sore judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. So he talks about Abraham. Reminds him, Abraham, he's your friend forever. We're his descendants. He's your friend forever. we got a covenant there. And then he begins to go over. And this is how you told us to handle problems, disasters, pestilence, things that came against us. This is what you said to say. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence... For your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And you will hear and save. I'll tell you what. If you're God and you're hearing this prayer, what are you doing? Glory to God, they're getting it. This is good. Well, it takes us all the way down to verse 10 before we get to the problem. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade. Now, he's not blaming God for this problem. He's merely saying they're ungrateful. 
We weren't allowed to destroy them. You told us not to. And here's how they repay it. Your kindness to them was to not let us, not tell us to destroy them. And we didn't. And their response to you for that kindness is to come over here to your people and to attack us. He's not blaming God. You should just let us take care of this problem before we wouldn't be having this problem now. That's not what he's saying. Whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. How they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. How often do we face situations where we do not know what to do? But we haven't quite got our eyes on him. That's what he says to do. Our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of... Well, we got all these different people he's from, so we don't need to know all them. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Do not what? Do not be afraid or dismayed. Now, they already were in fear, weren't they? So he says, Do not stop being in fear. And don't be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. It seems often that... The Lord repeats this phrase. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. did it with Joshua too. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of Kohathites and the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Have they been delivered yet? But they're praising Him. They're giving thanks to Him. Even before deliverance has come. They're giving thanks. They're giving praise. Hallelujah. They just stood up and give praise to God. Hadn't even seen the south. The, the army is still marching. Nothing has changed. That's good, isn't it? That's good stuff to be into. That's the way to, way to go at this thing. Well, let's keep on reading. So in verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Boy, Brother Hagin used to quote that verse all the time. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Didn't they just have a prophet who stood up and gave a message? And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord 
and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Now go back up to verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Position yourself. There are too many times, folks, we're going out into battle and we're not in the right position. We haven't positioned ourselves right. The right position is to let praise and thanksgiving be a part of our life. To be in gratitude to God. To never get to a place where I am not grateful, not thankful. To always be thankful. Never be grumbling and griping and complaining. We saw how Jesus, how the Lord responded to that kind of thing in the Bible. That's not the good place to be. But it sure is easy to fall into, isn't it? Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. They're focusing on God and His mercy. Now, they're told how to go out in this battle and what to do. And they put the praisers out here in front. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. That verse here, 22, can cause some people some confusion and has in the past. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. When did God do it? And most times we look at this verse of Scripture, folks, our focus is on the singing and the praising, isn't it? And then a lot of times we go out from here and we think, well, if I go into battle, I must go out with singing and praising first. Now, we're doing a series on being grateful and being thankful. You would think we would focus on that part of it, too. But that is not the focal part of the story. And when you focus on that part of the story, you miss what has happened. Too many times folks have, learned, have read this story and decided that every time we go into battle, we need to put the praisers first. God sent Israel into battle quite a few times, didn't he? He sent David into battle. He sent Abraham into battle. He sent Joshua into battle. He sent Saul into battle. He sent many other kings of, of Israel into battle. Many times, not all times, but many times, he told them how to go and fight. He told them what to do. In the case with Jericho. In the case with Ai. In the cases with, many of the cases with David. We hear that they were given instructions on who was to go first, how they were to battle, and what they were to do. Of all those times in the Word of God, how many times does the Lord say to the people of Israel, send the praisers first? How many times? Fourteen? Three? Two? One! One time that God says, put the praisers first. And go out into battle. And we've made whole doctrines out of putting the praisers first. But how many times has he said, go out to battle this way. Put this tribe out with their swords and their spears. Send these ones out. The most times that God dispatched Israel in the battle, 
He does not dispatch them with the praisers first. He dispatches them with the warriors. Most times. But this time was different. And he said to them, the battle's not yours, it's mine. This battle's not yours, it's mine. Now, I want you to rephrase something. I don't want you to write, change your Bible around. I just want you to rephrase this and think of this differently. What did God tell them to do? And then did they do it? They did, didn't they? So if you re- rewrite this this way. When they began to sing into praise. And when they began to sing into praise. And when they began... We focus on the singing and praising. But look at it this way. And you tell me if this is not consistent with a whole passage that is there. And when they began to obey. Isn't that what they said to do? And when they began to obey. Now, I put this in your outline too because I wanted you to get this. More focus has been given to the victory being brought about after singing and praising and missed the obedience. The reason that it brought victory for Jehoshaphat to put the praisers in front was because God said to do it. That's why they did it. And that's why it, it, that's why it worked. You go into battle the way God says to go into battle. The same way that you go into prayer, the same way God says go into prayer. The same way you enter into His presence, the same way God says enter into His presence. How do you enter into His presence? How do you enter into His courts? Praise and thanksgiving, right? Being, being, gracious, being in a place of gratitude. Understanding God has given me things. Thank God for the things He's given. Having an attitude of gratitude. Not an attitude of, I deserve that. That should be mine. God, you should give this to me because look at what I've done. Look at how faithful I've been. Not like Elijah. I have been zealous for the Lord. And all have turned against you except me. You should, you should help me out. <laughs> what he's saying. And God says, oh, stop it. I got 7,000 just like you. And if you want to step aside, I'll go get one of them. That's paraphrased, but that's basically what God is saying to him. So he says, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it is. It is God's. This is the Lord's battle. This is God's battle. He's coming in. But they had to put the praises out in front, and as soon as they did that, and the praises began to sing, God immediately went in action. He had said, This battle is mine, it's not yours. I'm taking this one. And they began to praise and to sing. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go into battle and put praisers in front. And understand, most times in the Word of God, that's not how it happened. If you're going to do something that doesn't make sense, make sure you have God's Word on it. If you're going to spit in mud and smear it on somebody's eyes, make sure you have God's Word on it. If you're going to spit on somebody's tongue, make sure you have God's Word on it. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just telling you you better have God's Word if you're going to spit in somebody's tongue because you might get a different reaction. (laughs) Jesus didn't get that reaction, but... You know, if it's not God, you may get a different one. But when God says to do it, then you do it. And you're obedient to it because God likes obedience. When we obey and when we do what God says, there's faith there. I have to have faith to obey and do what God says. And that's what God rewards. God constantly rewards faith in actions. Faith that people do. God likes to reward faith. Where do we leave all that? 
22. There we go. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. We already read how they did it. Verse 24. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry. I don't know why you go into battle with stuff like that. You know, if I go play volleyball, I don't take that kind of stuff with me. Well, these folks did. So they stripped it off for themselves. There's more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. Therefore, the name of the place was called the valley of Baraka until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem. How? This verse stuck out at me. They went back to Jerusalem with joy. Does that not contrast how they left it? Which would mean that they left Jerusalem without joy. But they came back with joy. How many times have we not praised and worshipped and thanked God because we didn't feel like it? Because I didn't feel joyful. Why aren't you praising and thanksgiving? Well, I just don't feel joyful right now. <laughs> Apparently, folks, you cannot feel joyful and go out singing, praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever and God works. Because they obeyed. Because they had faith in the Word that God said and they obeyed it. And even though they didn't have the corresponding feelings that went along with what they were saying, they said it. And they went out. They didn't grumble. They didn't complain. They went out there and they constantly praised God. We're here to praise God. We're here to give God thanks. We're here to give glory to God. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. But they know where they're going. They're going into battle. When they left and they're coming back to Jerusalem, they're not going into battle anymore. What are they doing? They're coming home to spend the money. There's joy in that. How many of y'all like when you're depressed you go out shopping? <laughs> Some people they like to go out shopping. They don't have to buy anything, but they you know they can just go out shopping, and it just makes them feel better. How much better it is when you can buy stuff <laughs> and not have to work. You got four days to carry, three days to carry back the spoil. Because you can't carry it all back. you got three days to get it all back there. And now you're going back the fourth time to spend it. Would you have joy? Yeah, there's going to be some joy there. But going into the battle, there wasn't joy. But there was still praise and thanksgiving because God said, do it. Our point out of this whole thing is this. If God says to enter into His presence with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise to give thanks always, then what should we do? Give thanks always, even when you don't feel joyful. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when the devil tries to come into your head and say, oh, you don't have this backed up with the appropriate feelings, you shouldn't be doing this. What do you do? 
Do it anyway. Because the Word of God said it. You tell them. Devil, the Word of God told me. I am to praise and to worship God. I am to enter into thanksgiving. I'm not listening to you. I don't care if I don't feel like it. I'm going to obey. Does the Word of God say that if you ask God for forgiveness, He forgives you? How many of you always feel forgiven? How many of you always feel saved? How many always feel like you're going to heaven? It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is, what did God say? What did God say? That's what we have to focus on. What did He say? Now, everyone wants to praise God when you're coming back to Jerusalem. But they had to praise God going away from Jerusalem and into the battle. Because God said so. And God says, if you do it this way, I'll fight for you. And God, God, stood, God was able to start this battle anytime He wanted to. And God did not until they chose to obey. Obey. So we looked at last week. The devil's tactic, folk, is to get you to be ungrateful. To get you to a place where you are dissatisfied with what's going on in your life. To get you dissatisfied with what God has given you. With what God has blessed you with. To get you dissatisfied with your spouse. Dissatisfied with your kids. Dissatisfied with your job. Dissatisfied with your life. And then to begin to paint a picture of something that could be better. And as you long for that, you are fertile soil for sin. Just as Adam and Eve were in the perfect garden. The perfect place. Until all of a sudden, the devil came in and sowed something in them and they thought, it's not as perfect as we thought. I'm not as content here as I could be. It can be better. And they didn't obey and do what God said. They decided to go a different way. To, for them to obey and to do what God said was not to praise and worship at that moment. It was to not eat from the tree. The Lord said, don't eat from the tree. And they decided, well, let's go ahead and eat from the tree. But they came back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemy. And they came back to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. See, this is like the ultimate weapon. I mean, how do you defend against God? What do you do? Do you have a radar that picks up when God's around? Do you have a weapon that you can use to neutralize God? There's nothing they could do. And the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. You know why they had rest? Because the other nations saw them as strong. Because they saw their God as strong. And they would not dare come again. How can you come against an army when three huge ones come up against them and they don't even get to, to start the battle? Before God kills them all. Well, we put this in your outline as well. I think we filled this in for you for verse 27. They went back with joy that did not go out with it. But praising and giving thanks is not about feeling joyful. It is about obedience. Praising and giving thanks is not about feeling joyful. It's about obedience. Even when you come in here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and you don't feel necessarily like worshiping God. 
Something happened on the way over here. Something happened last night. Just your overall state of existence, whatever it might be. And you come on in here and you want to have all kinds of other things in your mind. You're not here to praise God. You're here. It's not about feeling joyful. Father God, I am going to praise you. I am going to praise you. And don't get into this thing as of saying to God, well, uh, God, my, my life stinks right now, but I'm just going to go ahead and praise you anyway. That's bad. You have become fertile soil for bad stuff to happen because you have become discontent with your present. You've allowed that to happen. That's the first stage. We have more to get into on that. And we will down the, down the road here. But I just wanted you to see these parts. Praising, lifestyle of praise and worship and thanksgiving and gratitude is not about feeling. It's about obeying. It's about having faith in God. And faith in His Word. It's coming into His presence like Jehoshaphat did. I think that's the best part of that entire story. A lot of times we focus on the rewards, the battle, and all that stuff. But the best part to me in this whole story is to watch Jehoshaphat come before God and the way he opens up. You are God. Doesn't complain. Doesn't moan. Doesn't know, uh, well, you did this and you did this. But, he just gives glory to God. And then he ends it by saying, and you told us that when we had a problem, we are to come here before this temple, for this great place where your name is, and we are to make our request here, and that's what we're doing. We got this problem. But you're still God, and you got an answer for it. And God doesn't wait hardly any, any more few minutes, and the prophet has the word. What's going to happen? Put this in your outline too. Praising and giving thanks alone is not what brings the victory. It is the faith it takes to obey. Because, folks, it takes faith to obey God. It always takes faith to obey God. Does it take faith to obey God and get saved? Sure does. We know it takes faith to obey God to get healed. But whatever we have, it's going to be faith. It's faith and obedience. Every time I obey God, I have faith that what He said is right. What he said is true. And what he said will work for me. And I'm not going to believe the other things that I hear. I'm not going to believe the other things that are coming into my head. I'm not going to believe the doom and gloom and destruction that's being preached all around me. I'm going to take what he said in his word. God, you are God. It is impossible to please God without faith. Don't we have that in the word of God in Hebrews? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So it is impossible to please God without faith. Then neither is it possible to please Him with praise and thanksgiving apart from faith. You can please God with praise and thanksgiving in faith far quicker than you can, praise, than you can please Him praising Him with feelings. Just because you feel joyful and you give praise and worship to God doesn't mean God takes glory in that or... But that pleases Him. What pleases Him is that you have faith and obedience. And even in those times you come before Him and everything in you is down. Everything in you, is, is there's just gloom around you. But you say, I'm not going to give in to this. I'm not going to allow myself to become discontented with my present. As Paul said, I find myself in all states therein to be content. 
content. I need to find contentment wherever I'm at. My pastor used to teach me, Pastor Bob used to teach us out there, if you are discontented single, you'll be discontented married. If you're discontented married, you'll be discontented single. Too many times you have married people who say, if I just get rid of this marriage, I'll be content. You have single people who said, if I can just find the right person, I know I'll be content. No, if you are discontented single, you'll be discontented married. If you're discontented married, you'll be discontented single. If you're discontented with kids, you'll be discontented without them. If you're discontented without kids, you'll be discontented with kids. There is nothing in this world that will bring contentment. Come on, just think back at it. How many of you all saw that nuke, went to the car show and saw that car? Mm, oh, that car. You know which one I mean. That one. The one that you saw, it's, oh, look at that car. I never used to enjoy going to car shows, but, you know, the men, the church, we've been going out to the car show the last couple of years. And I'm starting to look forward to it now. I actually look forward to going out there and, and seeing some of the cars and seeing some of the things that are going on with that. And uh, you see that car and you say, oh, look at that car. Now, my son, he, he, he epitomizes this. He has, he has his ultimate car that he will eventually have one day. He has it on his computer. He looks at it every day. That is my ultimate car. Now, he knows that's not going to be his first car. <laughs> but it is his ultimate car. He does have the idea that it could be his second car. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to discourage him from that. <laughs> but he's told me what his first car ought to be. Glory to God. <laughs> I like his first car. His first, his first car is nice. It's, 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 hmm. I'll let him tell you about his first car and his second car. But there was a particular movie out that took his first car and totally destroyed it. And he was crushed. He was crushed at that. Even though he liked the movie, he did not like that scene where they completely destroyed his car. So he's got, this is his car. But I'll tell you what, if, if my son Christian does not find contentment before he has that car, he will not be content with that car. And that the way it is? How many times you got that car, you finally got that car, when you saw that car, all you could think of was that car. I need that car. I want that car in red. I want that car with a tan interior. I want that car with a convertible. I want that car with a V8. I want that... And, and you had all the different things you want. And folks, if I get a dream car, do not think that car will have an automatic in it. My dream car is a stick. I love a good stick. Oh, they are so fun to drive. What is really, really neat is I have passed this passion on to my son without ever having him drive one. He is totally convinced. He's going, we went to the car show and we would look inside and we saw, oh, it's an automatic. Oh. Now, I know that there's some cars and some people like automatics and that's fine. If you like automatics, that's fine. Do not look down upon me because I like a stick. I just happened to like that. I love them. Drove them for years. Never got tired of it. Just, mm, I miss it to this day. They just don't make trucks like I have to drive in a stick. And if they did, it's not as fun to drive as that nice little sports car number with the five-speed on the floor and just moving on through those gears. I still tell people to this day, my favorite drive in the entire world, it is a drive that lives on in my memory. 
we went to my, my uh, wife's brother's wedding in Clinton, New Jersey. And for some reason, they had to get out there earlier or I had to leave or whatever it was. I got to drive there on my own. And that's about when I still had the probe. And the probe had a five-speed in it. And I'll tell you what about the probe. The probe can handle corners. And going in Jersey, we were on this particular, I was on this particular road. No one else is in the car, so no one else tells you how to drive. It's just, it's just me. No one else is out there saying, slow down. So I didn't. And you know, when, and this was a beautiful road. This is one of those roads that had all these turns and corners and stuff. And folks, I know it is tough to sit on the passenger side when someone else is driving. It's hard for me without saying something. So I'm not picking on you if you want to say that. Because it's hard when you're just not behind the wheel and you don't have the brake and you don't have the gas. Oh, I need to have that stuff in front of me too. I sometimes, my son's driving, he sometimes... <laughs> and it's not that he's driving badly. It's just that I'm used to being on that side. <laughs> and I'm used to having my foot on the brake and feeling the, the car begin to come to the stop. That's all that it is. But anyway, we're on this road. We're heading out to, to Clinton, New Jersey, and I'm in Jersey. And you know, in Jersey, they have these windy, twisty roads sometimes. And they have those suggested speed limit slowdowns for the curves. The suggested ones. You know, when you're going 50 miles an hour and they suggest to you that you drop to 20 because of the curve that's coming up. I appreciate their suggestion. But I knew my car could handle the, the, the turn at the proper speed. And it did. Oh, did I have fun driving that car. I mean, downshifting into the turn. And oh, it was just, to this day, that is my best drive I ever had in my entire life. I don't know where I still don't know where that road was. I think I can find it again, but mm, that's it. But you know, if you're not content before you have that, you're not content after. If you're not content with the friends you have now, you're not going to be content later. If you're not content with the job you have now, you're not going to be content with the job you get blessed with later. If you cannot find contentment in whatever situation you are in, it will be hard. You have got to learn how to give praise and thanksgiving as Joseph did when he's a slave, when he's in prison. He still lived a lifestyle of thanksgiving and praise. And it didn't change him. He didn't have it find it hard to be content being ruler over Egypt because he was content as a prisoner. We've got to find contentment in these things. It is impossible to please God without faith. Neither is it possible to please Him with praise and thanksgiving apart from faith. It is perfectly fine to get before God and to say, Father God, I am here to praise and, thanks and give thanksgiving and it just be a matter of obedience and faith in what He said. But glory to God. On the way back, there can be joy. And it's fun to praise God when there's joy. But it's not wrong to praise God and give thanksgiving when there's not. It is perfectly fine to praise God through obedience and faith as much as it is to praise God with joy. Don't worry if your emotions don't line up with your words. They will. They will. How many times did they make declarations in, this, in the Scriptures we read? And they hadn't happened yet. When God said, 
I'm going to fight this battle for you. And they all stood up and they gave praises and glory to God. Had it happened yet? No. See, people who are not content are going to stand there and say, well, when that happens, I'll give you praise and glory. <laughs> Sometimes folks who want to say, well, when I get healed, I'll thank God. When I get my finances taken care of, I'll thank God. When I get that new house, when I get that new car, when I get that wife, when I get that husband, I'll thank God. No. <laughs> thank God now. Live a lifestyle of thanking Him. Praising Him. Giving Him glory. All the time. The Word of God said, the verses we read, always. And as we talked about in the beginning here, if I am not giving thanks, if I am not being thankful, I am unthankful. There should never be a moment in our day that can be characterized as unthankful. And if we can get over that and get to a place where we are always giving thanks, always giving thanks, that's where God wants us to be. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You for the Word that You give us. For the examples in Your Word. Oh, to see the things that have gone on. We give You praise and thanksgiving. Now. Not after, but now. Just as they did here. Before they went, they gave praise. On the way, they gave praise. But on the way back... They gave praise with joy. They gave thanksgiving with joy. Father, we may not feel the joy of the victory just yet, but we can still give the praise and the thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Father, we thank You for it. This morning, some of you are here and you have situations that you're facing, whether it be a health situation, a financial situation, a battle that is coming against you. And they have gathered. And they are coming. And you find yourself tempted in prayer time to be out there. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, I'm going to die. Oh, this is... And you're... you're oh, not, not thanksgiving, not praise, but other things. Thank God there's forgiveness. Just simply say, Father God, I messed up before. I was not walking in the right way. I was not doing what I should do. But I'm going to get it right now. Forgive me for those times when I didn't let the joy that's in me come out. Forgive me for those times when I didn't obey what you said to do. No, no, no. I'm walking in victory now. I don't need to see it to give praise and thanksgiving. I don't need to feel the joy to give praise and thanksgiving. I'm giving praise and thanksgiving now because of what you said in your Word. I declare by faith. I obey because you said so. And I thank you for what's going on. I want you to take that situation that you have that's facing you. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. And let's just praise God together right now. Let's just put it in practice. Let's just give God praise. Don't give Him praise for the bad stuff. They didn't give Him praise for Mount Seir and Moab and Ammon coming against them. They gave Him praise because they knew what was coming. Glory to God. Father God, we thank You for the victory. We thank You for the way that You were coming through. We thank You for the assurance You gave us in Your Word. We hold on to the assurance of Your Word. We don't look at such situations. We don't look at how we feel. Glory to God. Father, we thank You. We give You praise. We know that victory is ours. You have said so. You are God. You are God over all. You are the God who brought us this far. You are the God who is going to take us the rest of the way. 
Father, it is in You we find all satisfaction. It is in You we find all that we need. There is nothing this world can provide us that will give us more satisfaction than what we find in You. So we thank You, Father, for what we have. We thank You for the blessings that will come. But we thank You for what we have right now. Oh, we give You the glory. No Mount Seir, Moab, or Ammon conglomeration can come against us and defeat us. For You will not allow it. You see that Your children are victorious. We are the children of Abraham. We are among those. You said in Your Word that nations would be blessed because of Him. And we're one of those nations. We're some of those people. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, you ha He is a friend of Yours always. As Jehoshaphat told you. And we tell you as well. He is Your friend always. Oh, we thank You, Lord. We thank You for the way that You're coming through. Whether it be financial, whether it be health, healing, whatever situation, wisdom we need in the thing, something to overcome, whatever it is, Father, we, ha we, we have it. And we can give You praise and glory before it ever gets here. Before we ever feel the joy. Glory to God. We just give You the praise and the glory for it. We are turning our situation around. No longer are we coming into Your courts with gloom and doom. We're not coming into Your courts down and depressed. We're coming in with praise and thanksgiving. And we enter in that way. The way that You said in Your Word. Thank You, Father, for it. Thank You for the things You help us to learn to make sure the devil doesn't get in to get us dissatisfied with our present. Looking towards a different future and hiding the consequences of it. Father, we won't fall for what Adam and Eve fell for and others through the Word. We won't fall for what we have fallen for in the past. We're wise to it. We know His actions. We know what He's doing. Thank You for the help that You give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.